Hi, everyone. I just want to give a trigger warning. I talked a lot about domestic violence and sexual assault and trauma in this episode. So just be warned that it's a heavy discussion. Hey, hi, everyone. How are we? I'm getting started so late in the day. I've done nothing, nothing today. I slept in really late, like till 10 a.m., which is crazy. I never sleep in that late. And then instead of getting up and doing anything, I laid around for another hour and then went back to sleep until 1 p.m. <laughs> like, I'm a teenager. I <laughs> I have no excuse for it either. I just did. And I have not worked out. I, like, I haven't done shit. I even, like, took the mic out and, like, set it up when I first woke up. And it's now 5 p.m. And I'm just getting started. Oi, this is just a real lazy day for me. Anyway, hi. How are you? Uh, Right off the top, I want to say I have been watching this show. Well, I finished it. It's called Full Swing on Netflix. It's about PGA golfers and it's a reality TV show and I loved it. I, I hate to say I am now all in on the propaganda that is the PGA caring about the legacy of golf. It was really lovely. There were eight episodes. Okay, If you don't know this about me, I categorize TV into strict binaries. I've talked about this before. There are boy shows and there are girl shows. This is a two-sex house. (laughs) It's just how I think of things, as boy shows or girl shows. And, for example, The Last of Us, it's a boy show. Did I love that episode three? Yeah, but it's the only one I've been able to watch all the way through because it's a boy show. I don't like it. I, episode three was a girl episode. That's why I liked it. But it's a boy show. Um, but I will say Full Swing is a girl show, except I do think you have to like sports. I think that, which you guys know I like, by the way, R.I.P. Eagle season. That was pretty heartbreaking on Sunday night. But, you know, that's the life of an Eagles fan. I do think that you have to like sports to like the show because I think that you have to understand why it matters that they win. And I think that if you don't like sports and you don't care about people winning sports tournaments, then I just don't think it'll be as good. But I really liked it. It did a really good job explaining um, why the live, the Saudi Arabian golf league that was started, that's poached like 20 PGA players, why it's bad. And, but also like why guys went to it. It, it was really good. And I recommend it. I watched it in like a day and a half And I just really liked it. I haven't watched a reality show like that in a while that, like, really got me. And then now I've started watching that Formula One show because it's, like, the same thing. So I will never watch Formula One or golf. I want to make that clear. That's simply not for me. I've never been a golf person. My dad doesn't play golf. Um, So, yeah, I don't care about golf. But now do I have a famous a favorite golfer, and his name is Tony Finau, I believe is how you say his last name. Yeah, of course I do. Of course I do. Am I rooting for him and everything he ever does? Yes. Yes, I am. So yeah, full swing on Netflix. Um, I'm sure somebody will listen to this and be like, oh, are you going to do a Patreon episode on it? But no, I don't think so. I don't really think there's that much to say beyond what I just said. I mean, there is. I, I, I actually think this show does a really good job of... um 
explaining why athletes cheat because one of the uh, premises of this show is that if you have a family and or are happy in your life, you will not be a good professional golfer. (laughs) If you love your wife, you will not be a top athlete is essentially the premise of this show. And it kind of does a good job of explaining like why athletes cheat. And it's basically because they are such selfish sociopaths and that's how they're able to achieve such greatness. (laughs) And I was kind of like, yeah, now this makes a little more sense on top of the fact that they're like powerful men and we know that powerful men cheat. But anyway, I would definitely recommend it. Speaking of Patreon, um, patreon.com slash Liz Explains. Last week, I did an episode on Vanderpump Rules. I'm not totally sure what I'm going to do this week, but Vanderpump Rules is good this season. I hate to say it, but I liked the first two episodes. It was worth checking out. You should definitely go to my Patreon and listen. I've done some fun episodes recently. I did My Unorthodox Life the week before. I did Born Behind Bars, which was a really good show about women having babies in prison with Princess. And I have some fun stuff coming up, like that Stolen Youth documentary that everybody's talking about on Hulu about the Sarah Lawrence thing. You know, that guy that, like, started a cult at Sarah Lawrence. There was one documentary on it, but apparently the Hulu show was, like, even better. So I'm going to do that coming up. But, yeah, patreon.com slash Liz Explains. Anyway... Should we talk about Teen Mom? We got some more details of the restraining order that Mackenzie took out on Ryan. And it's scary. It's definitely scary. Um, I mean, we can can read it. It's, It's honestly a little nonsensical at times, like the stuff that she says Ryan said. But I think that's mostly because Ryan is nonsensical. But, okay, this is what it says. Um, Well, first of all, also, he had drugs on him when he got arrested. I can't remember if uh, that that had come out by the time I recorded last week's episode. Okay, so it says, The arrest of Ryan uh, happened after Ryan posted that Instagram post, the revenge porn post, as we talked about. And the son, I guess, got the affidavit for the restraining order. And in it, Mackenzie says that he had a history of domestic violence issues, which I believe. And apparently, Mackenzie answered a phone call from Ryan and recorded the conversation as she, that she and she provided authorities with two videos. The officer wrote the most threatening part of the video in the affidavit. Ryan said, according to the court records, you better fucking lie to the dudes who come and ask you. They're going to come and ask you at work. Mackenzie responded, what? He replied, I'll take a fucking ass whooping. Mackenzie then said, who's coming to my work? Ryan answered, the people in the club I I fucking joined Friday. You know it's a big no-no to be married and have your wife disrespect you in that kind of way. But I said I'd take the ass whooping because I didn't want the outcome to be unintelligible for you. And that ain't fair. If you don't tell tell me the truth right now, God, you're going to fucking regret that. Mackenzie shot back, I don't want to be with you. Ryan then said, yeah, I hear you, but you look, I guess, you didn't hear me. What's going to, ha- what's about to happen to you is going to be really ugly. Okay, so uh, people were like, what? <laughs> what club is he talking about? Now, I'm pretty sure he's saying he joined some type of motorcycle club. I saw people say, did he join the KKK? Did he join the Proud Boys? And like, I guess it's possible. But when I read that, I go right to 
motorcycle club. Now, is that because I recently listened to a podcast about a motorcycle club and it's fresh on my mind? Yeah, sure. It's called Relative Unknown. It's so fucking good. I highly recommend you listen to it. It turns out everything I thought I knew about WITSEC, Witness Protection, from one of my favorite shows, In Plain Sight on USA, was wrong, if you could believe it. The Witness Protection Program is really bad for the people that go into it, like, really, really bad, and it needs a complete overhaul. Um, As I said, relative unknown, the woman who does it, her father was a Hell's Angel, who was, like, the first Hell's Angel ever to flip, and it kind of tells his story as well as, like, her story of being 10 and being put into the Witness Protection Program when her dad decided to snitch on his friends. And my impression by what Ryan is saying is that he's basically saying, I joined some type of club. The fact that he calls it a club is why I think it's probably a motorcycle club. Look, I actually think that there's probably no club at all, but I think he wants Mackenzie to think he joined a motorcycle club. And people are, I saw some people be like, are there still outlaw motorcycle clubs? Yeah, there was a huge shootout in Texas like five or six years ago. I don't know if you guys remember this, but it sticks out of my head because it was in the uh, parking lot of a Twins, a Twin Peaks restaurant. (laughs) And like, I think a bunch of people died. Like, I think like 10 people died and like 100 people were arrested and went to jail. Like, there are definitely still outlaw motorcycle clubs. And then obviously there are just regular motorcycle clubs that are not outlaw clubs. I think what Ryan is saying is that I joined a motorcycle club. You can't have your wife disrespecting you if you're in this club. And if you do, if you are disrespected, like they'll come after me. And then if they don't come after me, they'll come after you, which doesn't seem to track totally to me. Like I said, I think Ryan is delusional at this point. Um, he was arrested with heroin and coke, which makes sense. If you don't know, a lot of people do heroin and coke together. It's called speedballing. It's really dangerous. Um, but, you know, I saw somebody ask, like, is it, is it crazy to do that? Is it really dangerous? And it's like, yeah, yeah. But like, if you're doing heroin, (laughs) it's like not that crazy to start doing speedballs. Like you're, you're already doing dope anything else, you know, it's just like, just another drug. Your, like, your risk analysis, is that the word I'm looking for, is not that of a normal person's. And so you're not like, oh no, I shouldn't speedball. That's really dangerous. Like, it's just not how most people in heroin think. Um, So I'm not surprised to hear that Ryan is doing both of those. Although I was kind of thinking like maybe he's on meth a little bit because he's been giving me meth vibes lately with all of this stuff. But Look, I hope that Mackenzie has left him for good. I hope that this is the end of things. I've been seeing some weird stuff go around about Mackenzie, like speculation that she doesn't have custody of her older son, Hudson, which is not true. And it's never been true. Mackenzie has always had primary custody of her child because I saw that. I was like, no, I know that's not true. And so I went and I found an article or a few articles, and essentially Mackenzie and her ex-husband, who she was forced to marry at 16 because she was pregnant, which, like, is there anything more vintage than that? Like, that is so 1968 to me. Like, the idea of making a child get married because they're pregnant is so foreign to me and wild. Like, I I truly cannot imagine wanting my 16-year-old to marry the idiot that got her pregnant. I, there's... 
It's just, that is such a crazy decision. Such a crazy thing to make your child do. But they got married at 16. She was separated, maybe, when she met Ryan. But basically, she met Ryan in, like, May, I think it said 2015 or 2016. And then she was, like, fully divorced by that fall. And she, they had, like, I think they had an official separation by July. And my understanding is from the time they separated and had a parenting plan, Mackenzie had primary custody of Hudson. In, like, 2019, his Hudson's father filed to modify the custody order. And he was asking to go from Mackenzie having full custody custody to him having 50-50 custody. Uh, it seems that in 2021, they came to a parenting plan agreement. And according to the son, they have close to 50-50, but Mackenzie has him more and has primary custody. So, like, I've been seeing people say, like, isn't it true that she, like, isn't allowed to have any contact with her son? Like, I, I saw somebody say that on Reddit, and it was upvoted. It's like, bitch, go to her Instagram. What do you mean she's not allowed to have contact with her son? She has pictures of him all over her Instagram with her other children. Like, clearly she has contact with her son. The things that people convince themselves of. Now, am I saying Mackenzie's a good mother? No. No, that's not what I'm saying. But Mackenzie has and always has had custody of her first son. Right before he was arrested, Ryan gave an interview to the son that basically was like, um... Mackenzie, Mackenzie ditched the kids, like, she left the kids with me and went out, and, like, she, that, she's a bad mother for that, and I feel bad for the kids, but, like, to me, what I'm assuming is that Mackenzie, like, and Ryan are doing, like, it sounded like a custody handoff to me, and I would assume that she dropped those kids off at Jen and Larry's. Of course, there's a lot of Jen and Larry talk. Um, They bailed him out, as far as we know. I'm actually not 100% sure we know for sure they bailed him out, but he was bailed out. My understanding is that he's currently at Jen and Larry's. That's disappointing for me to hear. I was really hoping that this would maybe be some sort of turnaround for Jen and Larry. I'm not sure why I hoped that. I mean, I know why. I talked about it last week that I was hoping that the little kids would be a real incentive for them to not take Ryan's side on this. Although, here's the other thing. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Mackenzie isn't even really asking for that. I wonder if Mackenzie doesn't care that they're letting Ryan live there and that she's still willing to, like, let them see the kids whenever they want. Like, I'm not sure because, I mean, like I said, it took a long time for Macy to get to that point with Ryan. I'm definitely curious, like, how they're going to play this on MTV because they've been, like, wanting to bring Ryan back, clearly, based on that Team Mom family reunion. And I think Macy was willing to, like, let Ryan hang with Bentley, which is also kind of crazy because he had just had that reunion spot. Or they actually filmed Team on Family Reunion before the reunion. So she went on Team on Family Reunion and, like, forgave Ryan or whatever. And then Bentley comes on stage however many weeks later and is like, I don't see my dad. I have no relationship with my dad. So <laughs> who knows what's going on there? I can't imagine that if they are working on things to come to a better co-parenting relationship that it will continue. Definitely curious, like, 
what's going to happen in regards to Jen and Larry when it comes to Macy, because my understanding is that Jen and Larry still come to all of uh, Bentley's baseball games or all the ones they can, I guess, because, you know, he like does travel and stuff. Um, And I think Bentley still goes over there regularly. Like, I don't I don't think he's there every weekend like he used to be, but I think he goes over there pretty regularly and sees his grandparents pretty regularly. So I'm definitely curious if Macy is going to put some hard lines down and if Ryan is there, she won't let, she won't let Bentley go there. I mean, it would be kind of crazy if she did. Bentley is, he is old enough now that it's probably not like dangerous for him to see Ryan, right? But Ryan's just, it's so fucked up and I, I can understand what Jen and Larry are doing. I can, but it makes me sad. It makes me sad to know that Ryan has a soft place to land once again. And I really am not somebody that believes that, like, if you if you have everything taken away from you, you'll, like, magically hit this special place called rock bottom in which you get better. Like, I don't know. It's just, in my experience, watching people relapse and get clean and relapse and get clean, like, that's not really what happens like you get sober when you are ready to get sober and there are plenty of people that have really really bad bottoms and then they actually get worse and I actually know quite a few people who had bottoms like really 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 bad bottoms they tried to get sober it didn't work they relapsed and then a little while later when things were actually better they decided to get sober um, like one of my best friends had tried, had re- like it got really, really, really bad. She went to rehab. She left. She used again right away. And then like a few months later, things actually weren't that bad. And that's when she decided to like ask to go back to rehab. And she's been sober ever since. So like, I don't know. This idea of rock bottom, I find to be just, I think it's um a concept that is easy for non-addicts. And I mean, also addicts to like, have this idea of like, if we just do these certain actions, this person will get to a place in which they want to get better. And I get that, right? Like there's a real hope in this idea of like letting someone hit a bottom because then they're going to get better. But I don't, I don't really think that happens, honestly. And I, I understand though, like the idea of enabling and that Ryan's parents are definitely enabling him and in my opinion, he should not be living there. I mean, just besides the fact that he's using, he shouldn't be living there because he's violent and they shouldn't allow him to have a place to live if he is beating up his wife. Oh, there was, an, there was more posted that she talked about the fact that he like threw her to the floor and like uh, she says she got menthol in her eye, like menthol tobacco in her eyes, which I'm kind of thinking he maybe spit at her with his spit in his mouth like there's physical violence going on here and no no like you can't you cannot live in my house if you hit your wife you know like drugs are kind of one thing but you cannot live in my house if you behave like that that is so unacceptable but they're gonna protect him till the end I guess I mean I hope Ryan doesn't die. I mean, they didn't find a needle on him. Apparently, he was smoking, which is probably better, I guess. It also kind of 
says to me that he maybe did get off the hard drugs for a little bit because usually, usually when you are an IV user, you don't go backwards. So we consider IV to be kind of like the end of the road as far as like the way in which you can consume drugs, right? Like there is, I mean, it depends on the type of drug, but like there's eating drugs, there's snorting drugs, there's smoking drugs, and then there's shooting drugs. And we usually consider shooting to be the worst because it is the most addictive way to take drugs because it goes right into your bloodstream. Now, not all drugs get shot, but most can be shot. And usually once people are on the needle, they don't step back. Like I've actually known people that were trying to relapse. And like actually my friend that I was just talking about early in her sobriety, someone offered her Coke and she was like, I was going to do it. And then I asked her if she had the needle and she didn't have needles. So I just like, I didn't do it because it wasn't worth it to me. Like I've known people who will not use hard drugs unless they have a needle. Like once they've gotten there, they're never coming back. Obviously that's not true for everyone, but it's it's definitely true. It's definitely a thing that happens. So I would kind of guess that Ryan was off of hard stuff. Like he was not shooting up. Um, maybe he was, he went to treatment, maybe whatever, who knows, right? And then I would guess he started using again and maybe he was snorting it a little bit and then maybe he was shooting or smoking it, um, kind of in a way to control it because I think that it's like a mental thing. Like as long as I don't go back to the needle, like I'm still in control of this, which is <laughs> so not true. Also, like... <laughs> When I was in treatment, somebody said, I told them that I wasn't shooting up. I was just snorting. He goes, so why are you here? I swear to God. And I was like, because I'm addicted to heroin. (laughs) Because I want to stop before I get there. Like, I'm like snorting has been enough for me. Like, that's fine. I don't I don't need to experience shooting. I don't I mean, I did shoot up once. It's a whole thing. I'm I'm I've probably told this story before on here. But I was not an IV drug user. And this kid was seriously like, huh, you, you, it's not that serious if you're just snorting it. And it's like, well, yes, it was. <laughs> it was definitely still serious, but that's kind of like the mentality, I think, for a lot of people that use heroin or IV drug users that if you, as long as you're not shooting it, it's like not that bad. So I wonder if that's kind of what's going on with Ryan. Um, it's also easier to hide if you're smoking it than if you're shooting it because you don't get fucking track marks on your body. Um, it when you're it's really hard to hide that you're shooting up from it. Like if you live with someone and they're looking for it. Um, even my ex who like truly shot into the same place always and like never had track marks anywhere else like but you could tell when he was shooting into that spot like if you were looking for it and I mean people will you know their veins are blown out like you you can tell if somebody's shooting up often I mean it's possible to hide right but like it's harder to hide from someone you're living with like are you wearing long sleeve shirts at all times inside your house like probably not um it's a little easier if you're like at work or whatever and you can wear a long sleeve shirt but it there's no physical there's no physical indicators if you're smoking it as opposed to shooting it. So, who knows? I just I really hope that this is it for Mackenzie. 
once again, like, I see so many people saying that she deserves it. And I just want to remind people that she was 19 years old when she met Ryan. She had been forced to get married at 16. At 16 years old, she was forced to marry by her parents, by her crazy Christian parents. Then she meets Ryan, who is like 10 years older than her. He's fucking rich. He's on a TV show. He has all of this to offer. And she went out of her marriage. And I can see why she did it. And I think that Mackenzie has really bad qualities. I think there are a lot of really bad qualities. I don't think I would want to be friends with Mackenzie Edwards. <laughs> I don't I don't like her. Um, I mean, I've talked extensively about her issues on this podcast. And she did make a really fucking active choice to marry Ryan, as we saw. <laughs> she was the one that got him to that parking lot high, you know? Like, it. she, she knew what was up, but... Just because you're making bad decisions and bad choices and you aren't the best person doesn't mean that you deserve to be abused by Ryan Edwards. And also, you know, I saw a lot of people be like, oh, well, she knew. But when they got married, as far as we know, Ryan had not been physically abusive and had never been accused of being physically abusive. Not that I can remember. And then people are like, well, she she didn't believe Macy and Taylor that Ryan threatened to kill them. And it's like, yeah, and that's bad, right? Like, that's objectively bad. But once again, like, you are already in this crazy, fucked up, abusive relationship. Even if he wasn't physically hitting her, like, they had an abusive relationship, an emotionally abusive relationship for sure. And you're already in this situation and you feel like you can't get out and you have to make the best of it. And so you just, like, convince yourself that, he's right and they're wrong. It doesn't make it right, right? Like none of this justifies her behavior, but in my opinion, it explains it. And I just, I don't, I don't know. For me, when I hear that somebody's being beat up, they have empathy. Like I give them empathy. It's really fucking hard for me, really hard for me to look at somebody in that situation and not have empathy. You know, I see people like they don't feel bad for Janelle at all. And I understand why, right? But I'm always going to have empathy for somebody that's being beat up by their spouse. I just, I just am. (laughs) No matter how bad of a person they are, I just am. It doesn't mean that I like am rooting for them and like want to be their friend and think they're a great person. But it, I, I try not to be a person that when I hear someone is being beat up, I go, well, you know, what did they think would happen? Oh, gosh. Mm, It's hard. Okay, let me take a quick break and then we will recap some more vintage episodes. Okay, I was clicking around episodes and I honestly even started to watch one and got like 15 minutes in and was feeling bored. And I was like, "Mm, I'm going to turn this off because the whole point of doing these Starbucks is that I'm not going to be bored. So I decided to do more OG. However, I think maybe I'll do Team Mom 2 next week. I'm not totally sure. I'm going to start with Farrah because there was another piece of news, if you will, that happened this week, which is Deborah went on her Farrah's Former Friends podcast for reasons I don't know. And they talk about Farrah's claims that she was abused. If you'll remember, um, Farrah has openly talked about the fact that 
She was hit with a belt. Deb and Mike did not deny that. Um, She, you know, they talk about the physical abuse on her season of family therapy. It's, she was abused. We, We know that to be true. And we saw how her parents spoke to her on television. But, oh gosh. Okay, this is what Deborah had to say. Even though, remember, she has not denied the belt stuff, the hitting with the belt stuff, which I know some people don't think of as abuse. It is. It is. It is. Don't hit your kids. Especially don't hit them with a fucking object. Okay. This is what Deb says. Now is the time, I think, let's get the record straight about the claims of child abuse, sexually molest. I don't know if that's a typo or she really said it like that. Sexually molestation, bullying, and all kinds of other things that have been going around that are absolutely not true. Okay. Um, there's always been like rumors with Farah and what happened to her as a child. Um, she's never like directly talked about any childhood sexual abuse as far as I know. Um, there was that time when she was on couples therapy by herself in which Dr. Jen said that Farah told her the most awful thing she had ever heard in her career. And I've always said that's bullshit um, because if you want, and I've seen people be like, that means that she was molested by either her grandfather or her father, which first of all, no, it, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Second of all, if you actually watch the episode, she and Dr. Jen are talking about what happened in regards to the porn that she filmed and then like the post like the promoting of the porn that she did. This is specifically in context of the porn. When they go into the room off camera with no mics to discuss whatever Farrah tells Jen. And I'm not saying I don't think she told Jen something bad. I like I'm sure she did. I've always said I think that Farrah was really harmed by making that porn. And then when she did more sex work afterwards to promote it, I think she really lost herself at that moment, sadly. And I think that she had reached a point where she felt like she couldn't turn back and leaned into something that she didn't necessarily want for herself. And that's kind of what created the Pharaoh that we come to see. She was never great, right? But I think that this was like a real turning point in her life doing that tape. And if you, like I said, if you watch the show, they're definitely talking about that, first of all, something in regards to that. And also, like, this is a TV show. I do not believe that Doc, that Farah would be able to tell Dr. Jen the worst thing that she had ever heard in her life in one little session. Therapists hear a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. And I just, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't believe it to be true. I think it was said for TV's sake. I'm sure what she told Jen was bad, and I'm sure Farah has been repeatedly mistreated throughout her life, whether that be physically or sexually or whatever. I I totally believe that. Um, but I'm just saying, like, it has never been said that she was molested as a child, but it kind of gets repeated as fact. And I see that Dr. Jen thing uses, like, an exam, like, a corroboration of that a lot, but that it that's really just, like, not how it happened in the episode. Okay, so Deb also says, we often fair talk about how she was sexually molested and she had a really rough childhood. Like I said, 
I don't remember Farah ever talking about being molested as a child, but I could be wrong, I guess, because I haven't kept up with everything she's been saying in the last couple of years. So it's very possible that I'm wrong. But at least when she was really in the Team Mom universe, she was not saying that. Deb says, I don't even know what all she's been saying. I want to go on record and say Farah comes from a very privileged background. Okay. Deborah then stated that she never let Farah and her sister alone with Michael. There's, this is what she says. There's no way in this world because I'd been taking Michael to several PhDs to get him mental help. No way in this world that the girls were ever left alone with him. Ever. Just to be very clear, my dad never molested anybody. My ex-husband, Michael, was a known situation and we kept him an arm's length away from everything because that's what the doctors told us to do. Uh, oh my God. I, I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand why Deborah is sharing this. I don't, I don't understand how she is saying in one breath that she knows that Michael never molested Farah, but then is also implying that there was a reason in which she felt that Michael had to get mental help for something and that as a result he could not be left alone with his children um that that's wild that's absolutely wild <laughs> like I, first of all I don't even know if this is true Deb lies just as much as Farah. It's why Farrah is the way that she is because of Deb and obviously Michael. We do know a few years ago some, like, emails or texts came out in which Michael was doing some gross, like, father-daughter role play, like, sexual role play, which is so fucking gross of him. But once again, just because he does that role play doesn't necessarily mean that he's actually into that, like, in real life. There are tons of people who role play things that they do not do in real life but i that i mean that it doesn't make him look good and then deborah saying this um is concerning and also like if it is true i don't know how she can say that it never happened like if she thinks her husband is a child her ex-husband is a child molester i don't know how she can confidently say that neither of the girls are molested by him that doesn't make sense to me um also, like, that means that Farah or Sophia was left alone with, I mean, we know my, Sophia was left alone with Michael a lot. I hope what Deb is saying is just a lie. Honestly, I really hope that she's lying and that this none of this is true. But it definitely is upsetting, right? It's really upsetting. <laughs> oh, God. So I watched season six, episodes two and three. And there is some interesting Deborah, some interesting Deborah interactions here that I think with the context of this article, see, I like make her seem even crazier. So it's Sophia's seventh birthday and Fair is trying to reminisce with Deborah, being like, oh, can you believe that Sophia is seven? I can't believe it's been seven years. And Deb goes, it was a lot of drama. Do you remember that? <laughs> Farrah's like, yeah, mom, I remember. Deb can't help herself, truly. 
So Deborah's mad that Simon had tweeted an old mugshot. <laughs> the one that Deborah got when she attacked Farah and Farah called the police on her, if you'll remember. <laughs> oh my God. And she like held the knife and like wouldn't drop it when the police told her to. Because at the end of last season, or at some point last season, Deb and Simon had this little confrontation in which she called Simon abusive, essentially. She said, you have a lot of characteristics of an abuser. And Simon was not pleased by that. So he figured, well, one of us has been arrested for abuse and it's not me. (laughs) Remember Simon when he used to troll online? I mean, it was bad, but also sometimes it was funny. So Deborah tells Farrah that she's really upset about this and she wants to quietly talk to Simon about it. And Farrah's like, can you not? Can you not do this at Sophia's birthday party? But Deborah has her mindset on it. Uh, Derek's dad is at this party, which is nice. Jerry is his name, I believe. Michael's there with his new girlfriend, Amy, who's now his wife. That's when Deb meets Amy for the first time. And Simon comes in and he goes, hi, Deborah, good to see you. And Deborah goes, I don't think it is, Simon. <laughs> Simon is drunk at this party. When Deborah pulls him aside, he's so drunk. It's actually very funny. And Deborah says one of her greatest needs is respect. She's like, I need you to respect me. I have never been convicted of domestic violence or hurting anyone. I love when people who have an arrest record for something will be like, I've never been convicted of that. And it's like, sure, that is true. But also that's some careful, careful wording. Simon's like, I'm not calling you a liar. I didn't, I didn't say that you're a liar because Deb is like, I've never been convicted of these things. You're lying about me. He's like, I just tweeted the mugshot. (laughs) He tries to like talk about like his issues and defend himself and Deborah just will not stop cutting him off. He gets like two words in and Deborah cuts him off. And he's like, I I really need you to stop interrupting me. <laughs> he's like, I cannot talk if you keep interrupting me. He says he doesn't like ju- uh, the judgment from Deborah. And Deborah, I guess, compares him to Michael. She's like, you're a lot, you know, I know about abusers because of Michael and you're a lot like him. And Simon's like, I like Michael, honestly. I take that as a compliment. I'd rather be like Michael than like you. (laughs) Deb is like, I just don't understand why you don't respect me. And Simon's like, because I love Farrah and I, I don't like people that don't have Farrah's back. And that, that really pisses off Deborah. And she's like, "Uh, excuse me? I have Farrah's back. I gave birth to her. And I was he's like, yeah, I know, but you, you don't have her back. And he just walks away. Deb is so mad. I, I mean, Simon is a bad person in a lot of these, but it is funny watching him troll Farrah's family because they deserve it. They just deserve it. So a little... They're at the birthday party. It's a nice birthday party. Happy seventh birthday, Sophia. Like I said last time... It's kind of alarming how immature Sophia is. Um, like, my, one of my nieces, I mean, I have a million nieces, and one of them is six this year. I believe she's turning seven. Yeah, she's turning seven in May. And I would say compared to her sister, she's probably less mature than they were in many ways when she was, when they were six. And yet, 
it's like she's four years older than Sophia. And it, Sophia acts like a three-year-old on this show. It's really, she, my youngest niece is four right now. Is she even four? I think, I don't know. I can't, they, there are so many of them. I can't be expected to keep up with all of their ages. <laughs> she was born in 2019. So however old that makes her four, or I guess four this year. She's almost four. Okay, that's where we are. She's almost four. And Sophia acts like they act very similarly. Like to, to the point that my niece may be more mature than Sophia was at this age in some ways. And I don't say that as an act on Sophia. I just want to reiterate that it is all the adults around her's fault. She is living such a chaotic life. That little girl needs stability. She's in first grade at this point. And like I said, she acts like a baby. It's really, it's really hard to watch. Mm, Poor little Sophia. Poor, poor, poor Sophia. Okay, so we get a scene of, if you'll remember, Deborah did a tomato sauce line (laughs) with Farah. And Simon decides to be generous to Deb. And he goes, you know, I really like this tomato sauce. It's good. And Deborah says the most insane thing to him. (laughs) She goes, coming from people who have a lot of sauce, you know, Indian people, they have a lot of sauce. So I'll take that as a compliment. I trust your compliment on that. (laughs) It's such a weird way to say it. It's such a weird thing to say because Indian food has a lot of sauce. So that makes you good at judging tomato sauce who comes from a people. Oh, my God. Deborah. Simon is takes it. He takes it well. He's a good sport about it. So they've decided they've reached a truce. And Farrah and Simon go to have a little talk. And he's like, you know, I like things are fine with your parents. And she's like, well, I still haven't met your parents And he goes, yeah, you should. The house is almost built. And she goes, yeah, 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 yeah. One day, one day, one day, one day. (laughs) She's, and she's like, well, I want an engagement ring. And he's like, well, and she's like, you need to buy me an engagement ring. You need to pay me back for the engagement ring. Because if you'll remember, Farah bought herself a custom engagement ring that she designed with Sophia, I believe, on a cruise. And she believes or Simon told her that he would pay her back for the ring and they would get engaged. And that has not happened. Um, I don't think it was ever going to happen. And Farah is really, really mad at him about it. And like, I get it. She's been with Simon for multiple years at this point. He hasn't introduced her to her pa- his parents. He's never going to introduce her to his parents. I do think part of it is like cultural, right? Like, but also, like, he didn't, like, if you don't, if you don't intend to marry someone, why bring her home and, like, upset your parents even more? You know what I mean? It's like, hey, I'm dating outside of our culture. And also, like, here she is. But don't worry, it's not serious. So, like, you're upset over nothing. It, I get it. Um, But I, if I was fair, I would feel hurt in that situation that I had not met his parents yet after a few years. Ah. <sighs> They're going back and forth, and finally Fair goes, you know what? <laughs> you're going to be 30, and you're going to be single, so enjoy it. And Simon goes, I think I will. Like, it's so funny. It's so funny because it's 
such as it just shows like how dumb Farrah is and how Farrah like truly only thinks about herself because she doesn't want to be single when she's 30 but the reality is is like most people I think most especially most men like Simon don't want to be married before 30 (laughs) so they have their little fight and then we get a scene of Deborah being like Farrah look at this news and it had come out this is when those tweets came out that Matt had tweeted at Farrah and Janelle before he tweeted at Amber. And it's really funny because Simon's like, who's PB and Janelle? <laughs> Apparently his username was Giant Idiot, <laughs> which makes it so much funnier. And Deborah's like, do you remember this? And Fair goes, no, mom, I don't remember it because I don't read stuff like that because I'm not trying to meet and date people off of Twitter. <laughs> Farrah's like, I just, I can't believe Amber hasn't seen this already. And she's like, but I mean, they have like a wedding coming up. Like this is, this is really bad. So Farrah decides to text Amber and she's like, look, I don't know if this is real, but if it is real, like you should reconsider marrying him because this is really disturbing. And Deb goes, you know, if Amber left him, she would look so strong. And Farrah goes, who cares? It's not about looks, mom. It's not about how she would look. And Deborah's like, no, but I think she cares about how she looks on TV. And you know what? I'm on Team Deborah with that one because she does. <laughs> so Amber calls Farah. Now, I've always been curious about this because when she picks up the phone, she does not say, I'm filming. And we don't see Amber's side of the conversation. Like, we hear it through the phone, but we don't see it. And I kind of think that if they were filming Amber we would have gotten some some scenes of her, right? Usually they show us both of them and we we don't see it. This though is early in the days of like the cast calling one another on the show because they've just broken the fourth wall for the first time. But I don't know. I I kind of have always wondered if Amber didn't know they were filming this or like wasn't quite sure it would be used. Because they have a really nice conversation. And Amber's like, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's true. I don't know what's going on, but I'm really pissed off. Matt told me that he didn't know anything about me, you, Macy, or Kate because he never watched OG. He only watched Teen Mom 2. And so he didn't know about me. And she's like, he just keeps lying. You know, we've been together for two years at this point and this shit still keeps coming out. And Farrah's like... Well, is this the type of man you want to marry? And Amber's like, like, I have to be honest, we're not getting married in October. And part of it is because of this. And you know what? They have a really nice conversation, which is really a bummer that then they end up like, it's this, it's because of this that they end up fighting in that reunion episode. Um, Simon tweets some stuff related to it. Amber decides that Fair is a bad person for having brought this up because in the phone call, Amber seems so level-headed. She seems appreciative of Farah. She seems willing to talk about it. But then she goes on, my man, my man, my man, my man. You know, like that, that's who Amber is. I think when you catch Amber in the moment, you can like get her to listen and she can be really rational. But then once that's over, she's back on her bullshit. Okay. In the second episode, (laughs) Farah goes to Omaha where Deb is living again to get a colonoscopy. (laughs) 
couldn't understand why she did that there. Um, Deb is like trying to be helpful and brought a cooler full of stuff to drink beforehand. And Farrah's like screaming that she doesn't want Gatorade. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I forgot one thing. Okay. I forgot this one thing where Farah is talking to Sophia before um before the birthday party or at some point in this episode and she goes, "Do you want me to marry do you want me to marry Simon?" And she's like, "Yeah, I want you to marry him, but then put Daddy Derek's face on him." Oh. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Not great. Really not great. Um, They go to see Daddy Derek's grave, which is good. I mean, Farrah's always done a good job of keeping Derek a part of their lives. It is crazy when you think back to that 16 and Pregnant episode and then her first season of Teen Mom in which they truly just make Derek look like a deadbeat. It's crazy. It is crazy that they didn't share him being dead on camera until season two. That is so fucking nuts and he had been dead during the filming of 16 and pregnant he was dead before Sophia was born oh gosh it's just so wild um you know like look fair could be a better mom in a million ways and I'm sure including the way that she deals with Derek and Sophia but Sophia knows who her dad is she knows his family it could be a lot worse um they go out to eat and there's like a moment where um Farrah's like, you know, if I hadn't if like none of this had happened, if MTV never happened, like this would be my life. I'd be living in Omaha, I'd be married to Derek, I'd own a restaurant, I would have no desire to travel, and I think I'd be happy, which is sad. Um also anytime she talks about like being married to Derek, I'm like, girl, what the fuck are you talking about? And I get it. When people die, we really romanticize them. Um, I do think in many ways, Farrah's life is significantly easier with Derek being dead. Because I think, first of all, they would never have gotten married. They wouldn't have gotten back together, probably. And they would have, for, Michael may have gone to jail for attacking Derek with a knife. <laughs> oh, God. Those charges got dropped because there was, you know, no more victim. And... I I just, whenever she talks about it, I'm like, Farah, come on. And I get it. It's really hard when somebody dies, but they would not have been together and she would have just spent the rest of her life fighting over custody with him, I bet. Or he just like wouldn't have been in the picture at all. I wonder if she would have even let him ever see Sophia. I'm really, I don't know what she would have done. And I, it's not easier like trauma wise that Derek is dad, dad, Derek is dead, but like legit logistically and practically like not having to deal with any sort of co-parent has made Farrah's life significantly easier in many ways. She's like going on about this and Deborah's like, you know, God had a different plan. And she's like, I know, mom, stop interrupting. <laughs> and Deb's like, I'm just trying to compliment how well you're doing. <laughs> Oh, Farah. It is really interesting, though, when she talks about, like, if she never had MTV, she would have been living there, owning restaurants, not wanting to travel. She would have been satisfied. And I'm not so sure that's true. I think that Farah has issues, but I do think they're very much exasperated by MTV and then the porn and everything that has to do with that. 
there's a lot of God talk from them in this episode. And I always forget, like, how religious Deb wants them to be. Like, really, really religious. But nothing in their life reflects religion. <laughs> Except for when they randomly talk about God and they randomly pray. Um, like, nothing... Nothing about it. By the way, that now I'm thinking about it, I think that Daddy Derek's face part was from a previous episode. <laughs> and in that episode that I was watching, it was the one where <laughs> oh, the Tooth Fairy had come for Sophia and Farrah gave Sophia $1,000 from the Tooth Fairy. And then one of the dog's tooths fell out and she asked why the Tooth Fairy didn't see the dog. And Deborah goes, remember, baby, dogs don't have souls. <laughs> Oh, gosh, it's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let's go to Amber since we were already talking about her. In the first half, Jeff is in Indiana. And if you'll remember, Jeff becomes kind of like a, a critical part of the Team Mom fandom lore because <laughs> Matt starts blaming like everything on Jeff. He will say like Jeff took my Twitter and tweeted that. Um, I think there was talk of him sending a dick pic and in my head I remember it's Jeff's dick not mine <laughs> like Jeff becomes this like weird scapegoat for all that is Matt so they're out to eat and you know they're talking about like embarrassing stories for Matt and they're just like Amber's like you know I just want people to know him how I know him they have this perception and like I just I can't deal with it um, she talks about how she doesn't have any friends except for kind of the cast. She's like, well, Kate, we're really close. She'll probably be in the wedding. Macy's, you know, like she's Macy. Farrah's Farrah. But Kate and I are really close. But besides that, I just I don't have friends and I don't trust people. And that's sad to me. And I think that's true. And I would imagine that was true before MTV. I don't think Farrah's ever really had friends, but I would think being famous. I mean, for almost everyone. I believe being on the show, despite all of the consequences of it, is better than not because they don't live in poverty for all the people that were originally living in poverty. You know, like that even though all of this bad stuff has happened, at least they're not living in poverty. And I don't I Amber is the one in which I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if being on the show has made her life better because if there was one person who was never meant to be famous, it's Amber Portwood. And you really see it when she's with Matt and just like how much she hates being famous, but how she needs to be because she relies on the show for income. I kind of do hope that she quit the show. I'm curious to see like what her personality will be like when she's not on the show. I think it might be better, honestly. Uh, we get a little scene of Gary and Christina talking in which Gary lets us know that Leah told him that Matt's the only one that takes care of her. Which we know to be true, right? Amber doesn't take care of her kids. She gets boyfriends so that they'll take care of her kids. It's what she's always done. There are rumors that there are more kids. Gary's like, look, I don't know what's true and what's not. I just don't really trust this guy. I don't think he's trustworthy, which I think is, you know, very, very fair. So Jeff and Matt are out together, just the two of them. And Matt's like, you know, we've been together for almost two years. We live like a married couple. And it's just it's just the media. It's just the media and all of the bullshit about me. 
He's like, I'm the exact opposite of what is portrayed. And but I can't defend myself because if I defend myself and I get into it, I would fuck with my sobriety. And he says this as he's drinking a beer. Now, much has been said about Matt and his drug problem. I personally don't really think he ever had a drug problem. Um, A lot of his exes and people who knew him came out and were like, I don't remember him ever talking about having a drug problem. I'd never, I've never heard him say that. But sure, it's possible he did. I kind of think he said that to get in with Amber. Do I believe a lot of them said like he drank too much, which I could definitely see. Um, Look, the more I'm sober, the less I care about how people define their sobriety. I remember an early episode of this podcast, maybe the first year I did the podcast, in which I got so frustrated that Matt and Amber were calling themselves sober that I cried. Um, (laughs) I remember very clearly because I recorded it at this house, like at, I used to babysit for this family and I would have like two hours of time after the kid went to sleep. And so I would record my podcast there sometimes. And I was always like kind of worried about them coming in, even though I knew they wouldn't. Like, I knew they wouldn't be coming home early, but I was always, like, kind of worried they would come home early and just, like, see me doing the podcast, even though it was totally appropriate and fine for me to be doing it, because, like I said, the child was asleep. (laughs) But I was always like, oh, I don't want to have to explain this. But I remember being just, like, so – I think this is when they were talking about opening a sober house. And, like I said, the longer I'm sober – the less I care about how people divine, divine, define their own recovery and sobriety. Early in my sobriety, I really cared a lot. And I look back and I'm wondering if it's because I was like so deep in AA at that time and like really believed like once you're an addict, you can never use again. And if you're a true alcoholic, like you can never drink. Like I really, really believed that. I know I believe that. And I think it's because at the time I was like very deep in AA and like in reality it's because AA I credited AA with saving my life which I still do for the most part um like I kind of think EMDR therapy just helped was is how it was all possible but the 12 steps in AA like really really helped me and it helped save my life and I 100% still believe in that and I still think that if people want to do AA, they should try it. And if people want to get sober, they should at least try AA. I see so much shit talk about AA, which is, there's a lot to criticize about it. But the amount of people who are like, I've never even been to a meeting, but I hate how, I'm like, stop. I see so many people who have no actual experience with AA or the 12 steps talking shit about it. And I find that incredibly frustrating. And also it's like, you can criticize – like, it's not a cult. It's never been a cult. It's never going to be a cult. There are lots of problems with it, and you can criticize something. But I also am like, if you've never experienced it at all, I don't I don't really think it's for you to criticize, in my in my opinion. I see – I just see so much of it. And I, I try to just, like, scroll past or whatever where – if I see it on TikTok or Reddit or whatever because it's, like, not worth fighting over. But I find – I find it frustrating even though I have a lot of, like, criticisms and issues with AA, and I don't, I don't know if I, like, I'm not in AA anymore. Like, I, I am, I don't know, it's hard to say. Like, I could go to a meeting tonight if I wanted to, and it would be fine, and I would enjoy the meeting probably. I just don't really utilize AA anymore as, like, part of my life. Um, But who knows, you know, what the future will hold. Maybe I'll want to go back eventually. 
I, it just doesn't really jive with like what I know about substance use disorder at this point in my life. And I find this to be true for a lot of people who get educated on substance use disorder, but they move away from AA because in my opinion, it's like not the best way to get sober. Um, but you know, that's, I've talked about this. It's neither here nor there, but I will say so for a little bit, I got into this point where I was like, anybody can define their recovery and sobriety any way they want. And I still do try to believe that. Um, but also, <laughs> I don't know. I guess my question is like, why do you need to use the word sober if you're not sober? And I don't even mean smoking weed, whatever. That used to really drive me nuts when people would say they were sober and they still smoked weed. I truly don't care about that at all anymore. I still do sometimes wish like, I still will say as somebody that doesn't smoke weed, um, it is nice to be an AA and not hear about weed because like every other recovery space is all about how you should use weed to get sober and that would not work for me <laughs> and it can be really frustrating and like anytime anybody posts anywhere, like I'm in a bunch of, or not anymore, but I have been in a bunch of recovery spaces online and somebody will be like, I want to quit smoking weed and like the first five comments will be like, weed saved my life. If it wasn't for weed, I'd still be on dope. Weed doesn't hurt me. Weed doesn't make me do this. And it's like, okay, but nobody fucking asked. This person doesn't want to smoke weed anymore and they can't stop. That's what we're here to talk about. It just, it's very frustrating to me, uh, the way that people act like weed is 100% harmless and that anybody who, like, there's no possible reason anybody would ever want to stop smoking weed and that nobody can be addicted to weed and that it can have no negative impacts on anybody's life because it's just not true. Anyway, where was I? Weed, oh, defining sobriety. <laughs> I guess I just, I think that the better word is recovery. And I think even early in my days, I would say you should say that you're clean from your drug of choice. And I, I think that's like still okay language. I mean, it does imply that like if you're using, you're dirty, right? Because you're not clean, but whatever. Um, It's not really relevant to this conversation. I think that it's okay for some words to have defined meanings. And I, I think it's okay to use sober as no mind altering or like uh, substances. And then, yeah, coffee, cigarette, whatever. You all know what I mean when I say that. No drugs or alcohol. Like, I do think it's okay to use sober in that context. And I'm not really sure why people need to use sober if they're not off of mind altering substances. Recovery, on the other hand, I think can be way broader. And as long as like you are living a different life than you did in your active addiction, you're living a better life and things are good, like that's recovery. There's this creator that I've talked about on here before. Her name is Jess Kent, Jessica Kent. And I found her because she had these really great videos about um, how she gave birth in prison and then like worked for years to get her daughter back and she was sober and she's so great. And then she started smoking weed and I was like, whatever. I didn't love it, but I was like, whatever, you know. And I kind of stopped watching her as much because her videos became really repetitive to me and she talked a lot about weed and it just wasn't for me. Then there was some drama with her recently. I was like, oh, I haven't checked in on her in forever. And I saw that she is drinking and not just drinking, but like has made videos about how she was struggling with alcohol 
and like would drink every day and couldn't stop. And then she got to a place where she did, she was able to manage it, but she wasn't going to stop drinking because what's one glass of wine? She can, like, she sounds like a fucking alcoholic, right? Like, but she still insists on calling herself sober and says that everybody can define their own sobriety. And I'm like, but you're not. Like, just because you're not slamming dope, or smoking meth doesn't mean that you're sober. Like, you're struggling with alcohol. Like, you've talked about that. So how can you be sober? That doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Can you still be in recovery? Yeah, although I would kind of argue if you're struggling with alcohol, you're not really in recovery. But, like, recovery to me seems like such a broader term. And I'm just, I'm just not sure why people need to, like, hang on to this word sober and this term sobriety so tightly when it doesn't apply to them. And I I don't know if it's because I got sober the right way, right? I'm using that in quotation marks, but like all mind altering substances, going to AA, doing the steps, working the program, blah, 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 and like staying off them. I'm not sure if like that's why I'm like, I don't really get why you need to call yourself sober because I just haven't been in the position where I've like stopped doing my drug of choice, but managed to like keep doing other drugs and drinking and like be fine. That's never been something that I've experienced. But just say that you're in recovery. You don't need to say you're sober if you're drinking alcohol. That's just like my... I guess my personal opinion, and if everybody can define their own sobriety, then I also can have an opinion on it. I do try really hard to just, like, not care about it because what does me being like, no, actually, you're not sober. You can say you're in recovery, but you're not sober. Like, what what does that do? Who does that help? That doesn't help anybody. <laughs> it, do, it truly does not help anybody, but I I. I guess I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't really get why people are like so insistent on talking about their sobriety. And Matt is obviously not sober because he's never gotten sober because he was not a drug addict, in my opinion. So it's not really relevant to like this, what is happening here. But it, it made me think of that when he was talking about his sobriety as he drank beer. It's just always going to be crazy to me right? Like, that's always going to be crazy to me. To me, it seems so simple to be like, yeah, like, I'm in recovery. I don't do my drug of choice anymore. I drink alcohol moderately. I smoke weed moderately. My life is really good. My, like, I was homeless then. I am now, like, in this nice, beautiful house. I have a spouse. I have children. My life is a 180 from where it was before when I was in active addiction. But I use some mind-altering substances, you're in recovery. I just, I don't, I don't know why people need to be like, but no, 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 I'm sober. How are you going to tell me I'm not sober? It's weird. It's like a weird defensive thing. And this is becoming more and more of a topic. I think the more recovery internet is becoming a thing, right? Like there's a lot of recovery internet and a lot of recovery TikTok. And obviously I get more of it because my, based on my algorithm. But I, I kind of think it, it's just, It's like when words have no meaning, what's the point? You know, what's the point of the word sobriety if it doesn't mean anything? But I think we can all understand that recovery doesn't have to mean total abstinence. I think sobriety should. I mean, technically, I guess it really should just mean you don't do alcohol. Um, So that's kind of like how it developed its meaning, at least in the terms of like AA. It means alcohol. 
That's why in, in NA they don't say sober, they say clean because they're talking about drugs and alcohol. And they came up with their own term because sober technically in AA just means that you don't drink. Um, everything else is an outside issue. I don't know, guys. This is like a real, it's a real rant for the ages, but I don't know. Isn't that why I started this podcast to talk about my sobriety? <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah, so Matt's drinking beer and talking about how he can't let anything fuck with sobriety. Jeff and Matt decide to get tattoos, and (laughs) he has this funny tattoo artist who has this, like, true mohawk, like, an insane mohawk. And she's like, oh, so how did you get to Indiana if you're from Boston? He's like, well, my girl or my fiance lives here. He's like, we accidentally met on Twitter. And they're, of course, showing this. This, like, in the... In the episode, I believe happens, this part happens before the phone call that we see between Farrah and Amber, and then the rest happens after. It's actually good editing. These probably didn't happen, like, anywhere close together, but it makes for a good episode. So he's like, well, you know, I just, like, I just, I didn't. We accidentally met. (laughs) He shows her one of the tattoos he has which is Chinese characters that supposedly means clean and sober. And he's like, you know, I wasn't actually sober when I got that. And the tattoo lady is like, oh, why? Huh? So why did you do it? And he's like, I guess I just wanted to be. And she's like, that's weird. That's weird. That's really weird. (laughs) We see the tattoo he gets. It's like some song lyric, whatever. And he's talking to her about like doing cover-ups and he's like yeah I have some things that I want to get covered up and so like as they're leaving she's like oh wait let me see your cover-up and he's like I don't want them to see it and he means the MTV camera so they go into a different room and he shows her and she goes what is that somebody's name is that a girl's name and he goes no it's a Twitter handle he goes it was a high mistake just the way he talks is like I don't know it was a high mistake it's just so it's weird it sounds very weird. It's not it's not a way I would speak or most people I know would speak. Like it's just a high mistake. The the way high is used there is very bizarre in a way that I can't quite articulate, but I wouldn't I don't know. I'd be like it was a drug mistake, like it was drug induced. I don't know, the drugs made me do it. Like I was just being a fucking idiot because I was high, but like high mistake. It just sounds really weird, honestly, in this context. And he's like, it's a Twitter handle. And she's like, "So, oh, so you don't want people know. Like, basically, he's being like, don't say it out loud. And she's like, oh, you don't know what people, you don't know. Ugh, I cannot talk. You don't want people knowing what the Twitter handle is. And they're laughing. And like, MTV, the way they edit this, you're definitely supposed to think that's Farrah's Twitter handle. <laughs> Which I'm sure it is not, right? Like, the chance of it being Farrah's Twitter handle, in my opinion, is probably slim to none. Like, I do not believe that fa- that is Farrah's Twitter handle, but they definitely want you to think that. Uh, then Amber and Matt and Jeff are all in the car after this, and they're talking about you know, the tweets that came out and Matt's like, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. He gets a phone call from like some type of manager or agent or whatever. And he's like, we're not responding to this. We shouldn't give them the dignity of responding to it. We're not, we're not going to say anything. And Amber's like, but I don't get it. Like, why'd you do it? And he's like, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. 
He does buy her a new, he, in quotes, buys her a new ugly ass ring after this, though. <laughs> because it's the second episode and they're showing the producers the new ring. It's so ugly. And they bring up Farah. And once again, Matt is so smart because he just starts going hard at Farah because he knows that Amber has anger that has to be directed somewhere. And when it was the thing came out about his kids, the anger needed to be directed at Gary. And so now the anger needs to be directed at Farah, even though this all came up because it was like on the internet. Farah didn't discover this and then tell Amber. She, like Amber would have seen it anyway. It was going around. And Matt's like, fuck Farah. He says she's a habitual line stepper. She wants any attention she can get. She's dead to me. Fuck her. And Amber's even kind of like, it's not Farah because it's not. Farah didn't do anything. But Matt is no dummy. You know, he's no dummy. He is not a big idiot or whatever his username was. He knows that Amber wants to be mad at someone and it's not going to be him. So it better be Farah. Okay. They start talking about the fact that he has not seen his family in a long time and Amber's never met them. So his cousin calls. They've not seen each other in 10 years. And he decides that he and Amber will go visit the cousin. And Amber's like, I'm just really nervous about this. It's she's like, first of all, it's weird that I've never met any of your family. And it's like, kind of. It kind of is. I mean, look, on the one hand, it doesn't have to be right. Like Matt's an old man. (laughs) Just kidding. He's not that old, but he's what, 46 in this in this season. So he's like 46 years old. He is estranged from his mother. It It's in my opinion, it's reasonable for an adult like not to have contact with their family usually. And I don't think it is a red flag. I think it can be, but I think on its own, it doesn't have to be a red flag. If you grew up with really abusive parents, you don't have siblings, you weren't close with your extended family, like it's reasonable to be like, I don't really feel like I need to introduce my significant other to them because they're not a part of my life. I think that's the case for a decent amount of adults. But on the other hand, Amber is now like, you're a fucking liar. You lie about everything. And it's weird that I haven't met your family. And it's like clear that she's like piecing stuff together. And once again, I think Matt's like, okay, I'm going to get in touch with my cousin that I haven't seen in 10 years that doesn't know anything about me because we were close when we were kids, but we're not close as adults, clearly. And he will just, like, defend me and then she'll feel better and, like, she doesn't need to meet anybody else. I, I kind of think that's what was happening. Um, There is a quick moment that I'm not going to discuss because it made me feel sick of Gary talking to Leah about her eating cat poop as a baby. And I don't know why that was included. It was so fucking disgusting. Oh, Amber does say part of the reason that she caught off this wedding is because she hasn't met any of his family. Which... I No, it's because you don't want to marry him because you know he's a fucking liar, Amber. But okay. So they go to Massachusetts. They meet his family. His cousins are very normal. Um, She brings up that she's never met his mom again in front of the cousin. And Matt goes, it's all right. She goes, he always does this. It's so weird. Isn't it so weird that he, like, doesn't want me to meet his mom? Isn't it so weird that he doesn't want me to meet his family? And his cousin and his wife are like... You can tell they're like, we're not totally sure what to say here. <laughs> oh, 
we find out that Matt ran track in high school and had school records, which kind of surprised me. And they go whale watching. And then Amber's like all happy. She's talking to producers and she's like, I just want people to see Matt as he is. She's like with all of his crazy exes coming out with these insane stories. And it's like, oh, girl. Oh, girl. You fell for it. You fucking fell hook, line, and sinker. Because as soon as some shitty man is saying that none of this is true, it's just crazy exes talking, run. Because he's always fucking lying, if that's the case. Okay. Um, not that much happens in Macy's episodes. There's obviously, like, the two of them. Basically, what happens is that Macy finds out that she's pregnant And if you'll remember, Macy finds out she's pregnant at 21 weeks. (laughs) Now, I remember when this came out and it was a huge fucking deal because there have been lots of pictures of Macy drinking. Um, Obviously not like to her mouth drinking, but there were pictures of her with a very visible stomach holding a beer. And so at first the fight was like, did Macy drink while she was pregnant? And people were like, I bet she's just holding a bottle to throw people off and she's just pretending to drink and going on and on. And other people were like, nope, she's definitely drinking while she was pregnant. And that was kind of like the battle. Then the show comes out. And if you watch this season, Girlie is visibly pregnant. And look, I get it. She was like newly postpartum. She thought she was just gaining weight. She got older. She's like, you know, I'm gaining weight for the first time in my life. Like, I think I'm just getting fat. I don't exercise. I eat a lot. Like, I I get it. I get, I can see a world in which she did not think she was pregnant. I can see her being in denial. Um, When she goes to get the ultrasound, like, when I tell you she has a full pregnant belly, I'm like, come on, girly. <laughs> I mean, I know they can pop pretty quickly, but... I, I don't know. Like, when you watch the first couple episodes, it's like, yeah, she's pregnant. Like, she looks pregnant. She fully looks pregnant here. When you go back and look at pictures from the few weeks, months before she announced that she was pregnant, like, she fully looks pregnant. And then the fight became on, you know, in the Team Mom fandom. Once it came out that she didn't know she was pregnant until she was five months, is that true? And I would see people be like, so is it true that Macy drank while she was pregnant? And I would still see responses that were like, no, it's not true. And it's like, well, no, actually, we fully know it's true if we're believing Macy's story because Macy's story is that she didn't find out she was pregnant until she was five months along. So you're telling me Macy just happened to not drink for five months? That doesn't make any fucking sense. Why would she not be drinking if she didn't know she was pregnant? She drank while she was pregnant. She just didn't know. Which is reasonable and people do it all the time and you hear about people finding out they're pregnant late in pregnancy and their babies are fine, thank God, even though they didn't know and weren't treating themselves like they were pregnant. It is hard for me to believe that she did not figure this out earlier. Um, (laughs) It is a little hard for me to believe it. I kind of think maybe she was in denial Some people believe that she knew and just was fully drinking while she was pregnant. I don't think I believe that personally. Um, I think she just didn't want to be pregnant. And we know that denial can lead us to a lot of things. There's a funny scene when she tells Jen and Larry um, (laughs) and Ryan. And Ryan goes, oh, my God, I thought you were just getting fat. And she goes, me too. (laughs) 
Bentley's super excited. The baby's due dates. Uh, Jade's birthday is May 29th, and this baby's due on May 30th, which is my birthday. I know that Maverick ends up being born on May 31st, which is Farrah's birthday. And really, the only reason I remember these exact dates is because my birthday happens to fall in the middle of them. <laughs> like, that's the only reason. Uh, there's like a funny little back and forth with them talking about how now that Macy has all her kids young, like by the time she's 45, the kids will be out of her house. And Larry goes, yeah, maybe not. And like turns and looks at Ryan and they're all laughing. It's funny. We do get a cute little scene um, of Jen and Larry talking and being like, you know, they're happy for Macy and they're just saying they're kind of worried about Ryan because he's about to turn 30 and, you know, Larry's like, it's, I'm not super worried, but I want to see him get married and have more kids and settle down. I just, I, these girls he's with, I don't think that they're the ones to do that. He meets Mackenzie very shortly after this. And then there's like this moment in which Larry looks at Jen and he goes, thank you for our family. Thank you. He starts to cry and he's like, your sacrifices, your commitment, everything you've done. He's like, Ryan, Bentley, me. We are because of you. And he's like, thank you. I appreciate it. I love you. They're both crying. And Larry's like, looks at the camera and kind of laughs. And he's like, I, this isn't the first time I've told her this, I swear. And Jen is just really like, she's being, she seems really appreciative. It's like a really sweet moment that made me feel so sad because I, I do believe Jen and Larry love each other. And it just makes me sad to know like how off the rails their lives have gotten, thanks to Ryan. Uh, at the end of the episode, Macy decides she's going to resign from her job, and I forgot that she was, like, working that, like, office job part-time still at this point. So, you know, that's the end of Macy having any sort of traditional job. Okay. Kate is going through it. This is, like, knowing that she's going to treatment soon definitely makes sense because she is not doing well. Um, they had just bought a new house and it needs to be like got renovated and Caitlin's supposed to be helping, but she doesn't because she's depressed. She's just sleeping around, sleeping around, sleeping a lot. It's <laughs> not sleeping around. Caitlin and Tyler like talk about it and this is Kate's worst era. It really is. She is unpleasant. She's wearing that fucking zebra hoodie all of the time. She looks miserable. She sounds miserable. I really feel for her. Um, Tyler's like, something's going on. You're not right. And she's like, yeah, I mean, I agree. And he's like, you just, he's like, you really, you're really withdrawn. You don't seem, you don't seem engaged. And Kate does the classic, like, I'm sorry, I'm so fucked up. And Tyler's like, stop. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I just, like, am worried that something's going on, and I think you should reach out to Dr. Drew. Why do we reach out to Dr. Drew? Why do we ever do that? Um, we get a quick scene of Kate, if you'll remember this famous scene, of Kate driving around in her car, and she puts a post-it note on the GoPro and hits her bowl, and MTV leaves that in. They leave her in putting the post-it note on. You can hear her sparking up. You can hear her coughing, and... I have always wondered, like, how many times Kate did that while she was filming Teen Mom and what she must have felt like when it was actually included in the show. She was probably so pissed. I would have been pissed. <laughs> so she reaches out to Dr. Drew. He calls back. They're on the phone. And he's like, can I do a quick assessment of you right now? I'm like, 
Okay, Drew. <laughs> he asks her about medicine and drinking, and she's like, well, I take Zoloft, and I'm not really a drinker, which is true. I don't think Kate or Tyler have ever really been big drinkers. I mean, I think Tyler drinks a little more than she does, but I don't think drinking has ever been a big part of their lives. And he's like, well, do you smoke pot? And she's like, well, yeah, like twice a day, sometimes, not all the time. <laughs> AKA, I think she was smoking a lot of pot at that time. And Dr. Drew's like, well, that's going to make the medicine not work as well. He says, do you have a history of cutting? And she's like, yeah, I do. I was kind of, I don't remember, I didn't remember that. I was like, mm, Kate. <laughs> then Drew says, because, you know, Drew is such a trauma-informed doctor. He goes, cutting suggests some trauma. What trauma do you have? <laughs> First of all, Drew, you know. You know. You know what Caitlin's family is like. You know she gave a baby up for adoption. What do you mean? Well, I'm, I think he was trying to ask if she was molested, honestly, because Drew in his day, has been, like, obsessed with people being molested. Remember, his whole thing was, like, if a woman speaks with a baby voice, I mean, she was molested. Oh, my God. It's crazy to ask, just, like, so what kind of trauma do you have? <laughs> she goes, well, you know, like, my mom and, like, he's, like, so it was, like, physical abuse? And she's, like, no, I wouldn't say it was, like, physical, but, like, yeah, it was, like, abuse. And, like, really, it was, like, my mom's boyfriend. It wasn't my mom, but, like, sometimes it got scary, but it wasn't physical. And then he was, like, well, can you, like, go into that a little more? And she's, like, well, you know, my brother's Nick, his dad, he was a crack addict, and he's really bad. And one day he choked me out and had me pinned against the bathroom wall, and I thought he was going to kill me, and Tyler had to pull him off of me. And I'm, like... Did she just say she was never physically abused? Is that, are, am I hearing, like, it is so wild the way that Kate has, like, totally compartmentalized her childhood and, like, really is, like, no, my childhood was totally fine. I mean, there is this time that, like, one of my dad's boyfriends tried to murder, or my mom's boyfriend tried to murder me, but, like, I wouldn't consider that abuse. Oh, it's so sad. It's so, so, so sad. God. This is when Dr. Drew is like, you need to be going to therapy and asks if she, he can speak to her therapist and that he wants to like be a, an advisor, not her doctor. When they hang up, Tyler goes, it's weird that you don't mention abuse from your mom. He's like, you automatically shift to her boyfriends. And Kate goes, do I? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, well, I guess. I'm like, oh, she's still doing it. Kate needs to cut April out. After watching this family reunion shit, oh, Kate, what are you doing? Get her out of your life. Uh, we got a scene of Kate going to her therapist, Kathleen, who's also Tyler's therapist. <laughs> and uh, Kathleen is like, well, you know, like, I get if you're smoking pot, but the issue is it's just numbing you. It's not like addressing anything. You need to know where the stuff comes from. And she's like, well, I know my anxiety comes from abandonment. She's like, my dad left me really young. My mom being drunk was a type of abandonment. And I was like, oh, good. She is mentioning her mom here. I think that, like, she has just convinced herself that her mom wasn't abusive to her, which is, I like, I don't think she still believes that. But I think at this point, like, the way that she got by in her life was, like, convincing herself that this stuff didn't happen. And I do not believe for one second that April didn't hit Kate. 
Not for one fucking second. Then there's, like, a really heartbreaking scene because Kate is like, I I just don't want this to be Nova's life. Like, I don't want what I'm doing to affect Nova. And Kathleen is like, kids are really resilient. And she's like, but I don't want her to have to be resilient. They shouldn't have to be resilient. I don't want her to have to come and get therapy and talk about me later in life. And I really felt for her. And I think what she's going through is something that it's extremely common with child with adults who are abused as children who become parents. Um, I'm always trying to remind, remind my friends that came from shitty childhoods when they're upset about a way they treated their child. I'm like, you need to remember that you are not your parent. So, like, when you yell at your kid, it's different than when your parent yelled at you. Because your children, 98% of the time, have love and security and comfort, and they have a childhood based on those things. So yeah, it's not great that you yelled and you should work on that and you shouldn't behave the way that you did and you should try and be better and react better. But it's a rare moment and like that's not their main foundation. But you can't help project but project your feelings onto your child. Because if when we think of our childhood, people, you know, who had abusive childhoods, our foundation was the yelling. In the trauma, in the lack of security, in the lack of comfort, in the lack of love. So when our parents yelled at us, it was different than a kid who gets yelled at when most everything is okay in their lives. And I think that I've talked at this like with a bunch of friends that have kids. And I'm like, I think part of the issue is that you're projecting the way you felt about your mom or dad onto your kid and assuming they feel that way about you, but they have an entirely different life than you did. Their life is 180 from the life that you lived as a child. So while it's still not great, it's not going to affect them the same way that it affected you. And you need to let them be like normal, happy kids and not assume that they are having this insane anxiety that you know that you had as a kid because their life doesn't look like yours. And I think it's a really, really hard thing to come to terms with as an adult with children when you are abused. And obviously, like, we all want to, most of us want to do better and nobody's going to be perfect and there are always going to be things that we can do better in and everything. But I think this is what Kate's experiencing and I do believe it to be true for Kate's children. Like, Kate, let's use the treatment as example, right? How people like talk a lot about how Kate went to treatment, came home, went to treatment again without saying bye to Nova and like that was probably a hard time for Nova And I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. But here's the thing. Nova has two parents, first of all, who love her very much. When her mom left, she still was in her home and she was with her dad, who loves her very much and takes care of her. So it's not the same as like Kate's dad, like moving out and leaving her with an abusive parent to fend for herself. You know, like it's just not the same. And Nova, while that experience probably did produce some trauma, like I'm, I'm sure that she's a little scarred by that experience and it could cause issues later. But like Nova has a life in which she lives in a two-parent home. She has everything she wants and needs. 
She has a lot of support at school. She has friends. Like, her life is so stable compared to the life that Kate lived that, like, Nova's just not going to have the same reactions to things and the same trauma that Caitlin had because she has a foundation. She has a foundation of love, security, and comfort. And I I just think it's really hard for people who are abused as children to assume that anybody can feel differently than they do. And, like, I know I struggle with that. Like, anytime people tell me that not everybody has suicidal ideation, I'm like, I, I don't really believe that. Like, I... I, it just doesn't make sense to me that anybody cannot think of driving their car off a cliff, you know, multiple times a week, but not for any real reason. It's just like how my brain works. And I always think that everybody's brain works like that, but it doesn't. But I also kind of think everybody who says that they don't is lying. <laughs> I like kind of rationally know they're not lying, but like in my heart, I'm like, they're liars. Everybody has a brain the way that I, like everybody thinks the way that I do. Um, and I, I think that parents who grew up with abusive parents who are giving their children really nice lives need to have some grace for themselves when it comes to them messing up and remember that like they're not scarring their children and that you can't be perfect all the time. But it was really sad listening to Kate cry, but she's she's in a bad spot. So the second episode is when the Brandon and Teresa don't want to be talked about on the show stuff starts. So basically, Teresa texts Kate and asks if they can call. And Kate is like, yeah. And she tells production, she's like, Teresa doesn't want me to film this call. And they're like, okay, they don't play the audio, whatever. So afterwards, they're like, so what did Teresa say? And Kate's like, look, Teresa and Brandon just don't want to be part of the show anymore. Right? Like, they're not interested in being the show And Teresa doesn't like that even if her conversations aren't filmed, we are talking about them on camera. And so it's, she's like, I mean, it's essentially the same thing as if we film the the conversation. Kate's like, and I can understand that. And they are Carly's parents. So I'm, I'm going to respect it. And I'm going to respect their wishes because they hold all the power, right? Like is essentially, essentially what they say. So Caitlin tells Tyler this and Tyler... (sighs) He's confused. And I don't blame Tyler. And Tyler and Caitlin, I think, still get a ton of heat for how they handled this. A ton of heat. Even though they seem to be in a way better place with Brandon and Teresa, it doesn't seem like Brandon and Teresa ever really stuck to this mandate, considering they're, they came back on the television show, right? <laughs> like, we know they were back on the show, so it's not like this was the end-all be-all, but... People really hate that Tyler was mad about this and said that he was not going to agree to this. And I am 50-50 on it. Because on one hand, if someone doesn't want to be talked about on TV, don't talk about them on TV. Right? Like, just don't. They don't want to be on TV. But I also understand where Tyler's coming from. Because Tyler is like, this is our life filming. Right? Like, this is the life that we live. We've always talked about them and Carly on our television show. And so how are we supposed to like have an authentic TV show if we're not going to talk about it? He's like, that doesn't make any sense. And like I said, I, I get where he's coming from. I also like, I understand, especially like an initial confusion. Like, why now? What does this really mean? And Kate is like, look, I don't really care. 
We're not talking about it. I agree to it. That's it. And this is the thing that upsets me more than Tyler disrespecting Brandon and Teresa. It's that Kate is like, Tyler, they are going to cut off access. You need to stop. And Tyler's like, well, I'm not going to stop. For me, that has way more to do with him disrespecting his wife than disrespecting Brandon and Teresa. I'm going to be honest. I don't care that much about him disrespecting Brandon and Teresa. I'm sorry. I just, I don't. Like, it, like, they're the ones, right? As I said before when talking about, like, the wedding episode, like, they're the ones that adopted a child and did so with a couple that was on television. Now, did they think that there would be a show called Teen Mom? No, of course not. They could have not predicted any of this. But when you adopt a child, you have to accept that that child's biological parents and family get to be autonomous people, right? And I, they're not allowed to just show up at your house. They're not allowed to demand to see the child. There's a million things they're not allowed to do. But one thing they are allowed to do is talk about it. And yes, on the other hand, the adoptive parents can then restrict access. But who does that help? Does that help the child? Usually not, because we know that adopted children do better if they are in contact with their biological family. For the, Like, obviously every case is different, but statistically we know that to be true. And I, like, I agree with Tyler. Tyler's like, I, this is my life. Like, this is something that happened and I can't talk about my life without talking about this. Now, do, like I said, do I think it's fair to be like, please stop talking about me on television? Yeah. And I think it's, I think that Tyler and Caitlin should respect that. I do. Because when you ask someone to stop talking about you on TV, you should stop talking about them on TV, right? Like, that's, that's just basic decency. But I don't feel bad for Brandon and Teresa that they're in this position. And I don't really care, like, ethically, if Tyler doesn't want to respect this for Brandon and Teresa's sake. And I always see people when talking about this scene, they only think of it from Brandon and Teresa's side. And I just, I don't really see it that way. And Tyler says to Butch, like, I think that they regret doing an open adoption with us. I think that they wish they did a closed adoption. And I'm sorry, but I'll always judge Brandon and Teresa for wanting a closed adoption. I think it's fucking weird if you want a closed adoption. I do. Even 10 years or 15 years ago, whenever it was that they adopted Carly in 2009. We did not do, like, there's a reason that adoptions are open. I cannot imagine the year 2009 wanting to have a closed adoption. It's very bizarre to me. That is not in the best interest of the child. It has been shown to not be in the best interest of the child for many, many, many years. And I don't know. I just, I don't love it. I, and they, they agreed not to have a closed adoption. And so this is kind of what comes with it, you know, like, <laughs> but like I said, I do, I do believe that they, if, if Brandon and Teresa didn't want to be talked about on TV, then they shouldn't have talked about them on TV. Because if, People don't have to be on TV just because you are, you know what I mean? Like that you shouldn't be subjected to your life being discussed on a reality television show just because some people you know are on that reality television show. That's not really fair. Uh, Tyler and Kate talk about this and Tyler's like, I'm just not going to agree to this. And Kate is like, well, you're being selfish. And I like, it's really interesting because it's so rare 
that Kate will like stick up to herself, stick up for herself to Tyler. But with this, she was like, yeah, fuck you. (laughs) Tyler says he sacrificed enough for them so that they could have a family and he's not going to sacrifice his voice. And look, I don't, I don't disagree. He should be able to talk about his life. But I also like, I, like I said, I understand if they don't want to be talked about. So I kind of like fall in the middle of this. And I think that if he, if Kate is saying to him, like, please do this for me, he should be willing to do that for her because that's his wife, you know, like that, that's his wife. Oh gosh, that's it for this week. I can't believe I'm finishing this podcast at like 7 p.m. <laughs> I think I'm going to go to the movies and see Knock on the Cabin. Is that what it's called? Knock at the Cabin? Knock on the Cabin? I haven't been in the movies in a while, so I think I'm going to go see it. I hope everybody has a lovely week. Patreon.com slash Liz Explains to hear me talk about every and everything and anything that has nothing to do with Teen Mom. I will talk to you all again soon. Bye.